One, two, three, four. Welcome to Convergence with Oladeji Tiamu. So part of my aspiration with this podcast is to have cross-disciplinary conversations between technologists and the dispute resolution community. From my perspective, the use of artificial intelligence and dispute resolution systems will only increase in relevance in the years ahead. So because this is such an important topic, the next two episodes will focus on AI ethics and governance practices of artificial intelligence. So this episode will be with Mary Hataja, the founder and CEO of SciDots, a startup focused on providing AI ethics solutions to public and private sector actors. In addition to the work she does with SciDots, Miri is also an affiliate with Harvard's Berkman Klein Center and the chair of IEEE's ethics certification program for autonomous and intelligent systems. All right, let's get to it. Mary, welcome to Convergence. I know you were all the way in Finland, so um, we have significant time zone differences, and it just it means a lot that you were willing to take your time out to to chat with me today. Thank you so much. Uh, this is an honor. Uh, it's a very beautiful uh, summer day. Uh, very hot, actually. Oh. <laughs> so. So, um, yeah, this is great time and I, I really appreciate the opportunity. So thanks. Great. For having great. Me. Yeah. So this is a bit non-traditional. Uh, I am, I'm going to start our conversation with a book recommendation. Actually, immediately before this conversation, I, I've been reading this science fiction book called Neuromancer and it's by William Gibson it's written in, I think, the, the mid-1980s, and it's before artificial intelligence was really put into reality. Uh, and the book explores certain AI concepts, and it even envisions potential use cases for the internet. And mm -hmm. I don't want to give any spoilers, but artificial intelligence in this book has a life of its own. And the internet is, is like a virtual reality system that you can plug in and out of. So it's just been a, a great book that I'm reading right now. And I would, I would strongly recommend if, you, if you're into science fiction at all. Very interesting. Yeah, I would love to, love to. So, so is it, uh, so, so what kind of is the future that it outlines? Uh, outlines? Is it uh, dystopia or, or something amazing or something in between? <laughs> You know, I think the beauty of it is it's somewhere in between. Okay. There are elements of it that I feel are dystopian, even like the background with how different cities are structured. There's, there's certain like inequalities at play that mm -hmm. play on dystopian themes. And then there are certain utopian elements of it where for instance like being able to travel from different parts of the world in in a short amount of time due to um advanced technology so so there are elements of it that i'm like wow this this would be so nice and then there are other elements like even 
with AI, there's a scene where the police officers are trying to arrest AI, <laughs> like mm-hmm. an AI system, because the AI mm-hmm. system wants to like go out of control. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's it's a great book, and it, it is both dystopian and then it has some elements of like a utopian vision. I would say. All right, that sounds yeah. great. Absolutely. So, Sidat. I, I, I'd say Saidat is doing like such exciting things with AI ethics. Um, and I feel like building off of Neuromancer with this book, uh, AI ethics has like such an important role to play in, in managing artificial intelligence. So maybe my first question for you is just getting a better sense of what attracted you to this emerging field of AI ethics and... Uh, some of the problems your startup is trying to address? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, the story, I I guess it starts from um, before we even started Cytos and and, uh, on the work that we have been doing, uh, the two founders of Cytos in this space of AI. So, So my background is really in developing AI taking AI into use in different business processes across different industries. So, uh, finance sector, media, technology, so forth. So, so that was the background. And then, then GDPR, the data protection regulation of Europe, changed, changed a lot how we're thinking about these questions and and uh, so so that that was was a main, major influencer and uh, through that I actually got involved into uh, AI ethics discussions I came to realize uh, first looking at my own thinking and how I'm like you know uh, looking into into the impact that we are doing doing with technology and then looking at others and I came into conclusion that okay a lot is happening we uh, the influence starts to be some like you know really significant and it's only growing and uh, majority of of us like you know don't see all the influence that we are having and and all the impacts that we are we're having in the, in people's lives so so it was sort of awakening first on on how limited understanding I had in my own role and then figuring out that okay this is going to be this needs to be <laughs> solved in some way we need to need to be able to shape how we develop uh, these uh, these uh, systems uh, seeing the impact uh, further than the uh, first immediate goal that our system is solving so so that kind of thinking initiated the the, the process and, and I got involved with a lot of uh, national activities, national AI program. I was leading the ethics uh, working trip over there. Got to discuss with a lot of organizations in in public and private sector about these topics, and then we saw a lot of uh, international cases, uh, incidents happening out there. And I got really uh, passionate about finding very operational, practical means for helping organizations to systematically address these questions. So. So that was yeah. the, the story, how, how it got started. And, yeah. yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, I, I definitely feel like the, um, for, from the private sector, like the, the need for clear, digestible uh, AI ethics, like governance really strong right now. Uh, and you also mentioned how your 
interest was impacted to a certain extent by GDPR. And I, I think that's interesting because there's the regulatory motivation for companies to adopt better AI governance practices. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I was actually reading one of your papers where you talked about how, yes, gov- the, the regulatory factor is certainly relevant for these companies, but also the financial risk, right? When, when uh, users and customers distrust the company because of a lack of accountability or clear governance practices, then it's going to be a financial risk factor for mm-hmm. the company. So, so I was actually really curious to just hear a bit more about it does it could be conversations you've had with um, executives uh, or just how you envision they're thinking about this concern around financial risk based on customers distrusting their AI ethics practices. Yeah, I think there has been uh, also some some studies around this um, uh, the, this topic. What what is driving companies in initiating AI responsibility related activities? And 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 based on those, I, I think it's quite systematically, and it makes total sense because we don't have those regulations in place which uh, yet, uh, which yeah. would basically uh, <laughs> require this kind of work in in that scale that we are maybe seeing uh, seeing for future. So so the driver is. In, based on my experience and based on those studies that I've been reading, the the trust, uh, the business reasons, uh, and and uh, at the heart of that business reason is basically establishing or further developing, maintaining trust between uh, the organization and its key stakeholders. Most importantly, of course, uh, customers, but also uh, employees, for example. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's a very good motivation. Uh, that that is at the heart of the business model and in acting uh, based on these motivations you are doing it really uh, or that, that's about maintaining your capability to operate uh, in in your business model uh, and not doing it just for compliance because <laughs> yes, it, it's just like you know it's way more fundamental motivation if it's at the heart of your business model and about the trust between you and your customers. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, I agree. And in in terms of maybe best practices, um, recommendations for you, how can some of these companies foster greater stakeholder trust in their AI Practices like I know you've mentioned um, a certain level of transparency, but are there are there other best practices that some of these companies should be thinking about? Um, in general, I, I think it's very hard to think about AI ethics or responsible AI without figuring out new ways and good ways for engaging uh, with your stakeholders. So in a way, I I, I think that's sort of a core principle or foundation that uh, you cannot do uh, good ethical decisions in isolation from your stakeholders. So, so, so that's something based on my experience, how, uh, how we are 
when we're working with customers, uh, that's one of the really areas that we try to find good ways and, and try out different ways of, first of all, understanding who are the people we are influencing, uh, who are uh, who are the stakeholders here, and then then thinking about different ways. Uh, what are the meaningful ways for for uh, engaging? Uh, those uh, people in the process have a say, uh, let, let them have a say on how AI-based services, um, AI technologies are influencing uh, their lives, uh, opportunities yeah. they are provided and so forth. So I, I think it's, we can actually think about it uh, from this whole like design thinking perspective. There are a lot of very good practices if you are using design uh, methodologies that are widely applied in any kind of technology development to the space of AI. I, I think this, this is something that uh, isn't that new uh, as we, we often think of it. If, if you look at it from that broader perspective, that, uh, that when applying design thinking in uh, new development, uh, that always considers uh, the users and mm -hmm. gives voice to the users. So I think we should consider those those means more in the AI context as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in, in one of your papers, uh, it, to quote you once again, you you wrote, uh, if my memory serves me correct, you wrote, uh, one should start with ethics principles, since the ethics of an AI system are the breathing values of our algorithms. And I, I like that because it illustrates, you know, like these algorithms, sometimes there's this pressure to think of algorithms as a black box. And, and that's usually from the perspective of a stakeholder who doesn't have access to a company's um, code. Um, and that can be really detrimental for stakeholders, right? It can undermine their trust, willingness to engage with, that company. So for me, I'm, I'm always wondering, you know, historically, and I know this is a mer an emerging industry, but historically there seems to have been some kind of intrepidation or lack of willingness for companies to be more transparent with the algorithms that are written. Uh, and my perspective is that that could be because of this proprietary pressures, you know, like these companies, they hired these engineers and developers to write these codes. And if they're too transparent with it, then a competitor can come in, you know, uh, and then there's this open source nature of, I would say, millennials, right? Like GitHub is so popular for this open source spirit. And I feel like it conflicts or competes with this obsession with proprietary information. Do you see this open source versus proprietary culture changing at all? Yeah, that's that's super interesting theme, and um, and um, yes, in general, I I um, think we need to challenge that that notion that you very well described um, about protecting our uh, IPs and so forth. Um, uh, in general, I've been trying to 
think about the benefits of open source and and that way of working and how to how to uh, sort of use the same or uh, use some some uh, of that approach in the AI context, uh, apply that into AI transparency, not necessarily trying to make AI open source, like, you know, across uh, <laughs> all industries or companies, like, I think that's not uh, what real, what is realistic uh, from companies or industry perspective. But sort of that, that idea that uh, with that transparency, uh, exposing your work into whether it's limited audience uh, of trusted stakeholders or then uh, open uh, public, that allows you very fast um, feedback loop. And that allows you to see the problems uh, much sooner than you would uh, possibly see if you just keep it for yourself. Uh, and then if you are uh, if you're welcoming uh, that feedback and if you are agile enough to actually be able to respond to that one, I think that's that's very interesting recipe for future. And that's where I believe we need to go uh, in order to be able to really probably, probably govern uh, these uh, increasingly complex complex technologies. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, this this podcast episode is focused on AI ethics. And I also think for our listeners, it might be nice to also explore the benefits of artificial intelligence, you know, um, and, and you mentioned you you have a background before coming to creating SciDot, you, you had a background already with this industry. So I'm curious for you, just um, some of the benefits that artificial intelligence presents in, in different industries. That's always so, so difficult question because it starts <laughs> to be in like, you know, across, we, we apply AI in so many, um, yeah. like basically all industries. So it's about your own favorites uh, <laughs> that you happen to now, of course, I'm always bringing in these kind of uh, like you know uh, questions. Uh, I cannot imagine of uh, healthcare and and getting healthcare that is not using utilizing uh, to large extent all those opportunities uh, in personalized health healthcare, um, um, you know, uh, drug development and so forth. Um, I, I think there are tremendous opportunities there, and probably all of us uh, want to also. Uh, benefits uh, of those and that's one in interesting question how do we make sure that uh, people are equally benefiting of the progress uh, of, uh, of AI in healthcare uh, but it also in education area um, being able to support learners individual um, like you know uh, getting the full capacity uh, of, of person uh, being able to recommend um, or support you in your learning process uh, in the best possible way, individualizing the, the learning process and so forth. Uh, you can find great applications for from basically any industry, I think. What are your favorites? You know, for me, it's because I focus on dispute resolution and technology, um, the use of artificial intelligence in, in online dispute resolution is becoming more and more of a valid and effective use case mm -hmm. um, with, with ODR. And it's, it's a good example with healthcare 
because to a certain extent you in both you have large data sets right like you have the possibility of prior disputants in a system sharing all of that information over an accumulated period of time so you have that data set and then with medicine and healthcare you have all of their medical information and you can use that to spot trends patterns that human intelligence would really struggle with. So with online dispute resolution, there's the hopes and aspirations of preventative dispute resolution to a certain extent where um, when you're when, when a platform is working, especially in e-commerce, you right. can give guidance to merchants on a platform letting them know that, you know, if you go down this path or you continue taking these business practices as a merchant, odds are you're going to end up in a dispute with a, mm -hmm. with a, with a buyer. So, so I think online dispute resolution is increasingly recognizing all of the benefits of AI and even with alternative dispute resolution with mediators, for example, um, mm -hmm. AI still has that, what I describe as a comparative advantage to, to understand, based on rules set by a developer, understand large swaths of data that a mediator would really have to spend <laughs> mm -hmm. months, years <laughs> trying to understand. And AI can do that in a matter of seconds. Uh, so to me, you know, I'm excited about the prospect of AI with dispute resolution systems. And, and as you're pointing to with the governance aspects of it in online dispute resolution, it's even more important because we are trusting potentially legally binding outcomes to an algorithm that to a certain extent, users of the platform don't really know what is going on, right? They just kind of submit to it. So yeah, that, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Do you have any concerns with AI in, in courts or with alternative dispute resolution? Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a, it's a fascinating area. And I, I definitely think we need to, uh, uh, in this whole development of e-commerce and how how we are basically facilitating so many different processes uh, with technology uh, everything is going digital so so we also need to find ways for for solving these situations so uh, yeah I, I agree with you it's a, it's a fascinating area uh, what fascinates in me not only from that use case area or uh, application area for AI but also applying the same ideas what has been developed in dispute resolution uh, or online dis uh, dispute resolution into the ethics problems or questions and, and could we build similar kind of uh, setup for uh, finding good solution solutions to um, different concrete uh, ethical questions in relation to uh, how we use AI uh, and individual decisions done by AI and so forth. So yeah, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I know uh, in th that we kind of uh, 
before the recording started, we, we explored this equation, if you will, mm-hmm. that greater stakeholder engagement leads to increased trust and more avenues for accountability. Uh, <laughs> and, and I find this, this equation for me to be so interesting because at least with online dispute resolution, the need for accountability for the owner of the platform is really important, right? Like users of a dispute system are, I think, more likely to trust it if there's some level of accountability that the online dispute resolution platform has to the users. Um, and yeah, so that that was just something that came to mind. And I, I was curious for you, like with companies that you've been working with or even governments, the level of openness that they have in being accountable to stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this um, two principles, transparency and accountability, those are my favorites. Uh, <laughs> those, those are basically on, on which we have built whole uh, concept of Cited and we've tried to uh, facilitate, enable ways for for wor- working, bringing uh, this transparency, using transparency uh, to facilitate, enable accountability. Uh, it's so, and, and this whole stakeholder engagement is obviously very much related to. Uh, you need to have transparency or something that you uh, communicate about how your your decisions are done or how your technology works in order to be able to engage and get feedback. So yeah, those are, those are I think those are sort of foundational uh, principles of AI ethics. They enable so much. They enable understanding whether we have, whether we are having um, non-biased systems or like whether we are pro- having problems uh, with equality and, and and uh, it enables uh, human oversight and so forth. So, so I really feel that this equation that uh, you will really well laid, laid down, uh, there is so much in it. I agree that first it starts from the developers and the owners within the organization. They need more transparency. They need to understand how the, system, the systems work so that they are able to carry the responsibility, hold, hold themselves as accountable, because it's really hard if you don't know what you are accountable for. So, so that's where we always or very often start with to bring more transparency for the organization itself. For example, the business owners, they, they need to have better means for, uh, for understanding how the system has been developed, what kind of decision it's doing so that's that's where we start and that's I think where it needs to start before going to external stakeholders you need to have the the internal stakeholders accountables um, provided with with enough data then there are so many different uh, external stakeholders who who then then come into picture the the people the users of the systems what kind of transparency we need to provide for them so that they are comfortable uh, they can trust uh, that the system has been developed uh, with their best interest in mind and it works reliably and so, so forth. 
then there are like, you know, uh, there can be these kind of mediators or uh, auditors, reviewers who have a little bit different perspective. They need to need, know more so that they can actually verify that the system is working well, it's doing good decisions and so forth. So it's actually a very broad topic. There are so many different parties who need to uh, be supported in them being able to, uh, to trust or hold the accountability. Regulation of AI is, is so young, right? There just aren't that many jurisdictions that have a track record of uh, codes and statutes regulating AI. So I, I was actually just curious with, it could be Finland or just the EU broadly, current regulations that have been put in place uh, for AI. Mm. Yeah, in this context, it's it's definitely uh, the latest uh, European Commission's proposal that we should discuss in, in, in this context, because that's something that uh, from European perspective, everyone uh, who is following this space and has known that uh, this is something that is being prepared. So I think uh, on a state level, there there hasn't been any any reason to take forwards any any like you know um, uh, too much activities before hearing what what uh, what EU is uh, is planning on this area. So so uh, yeah, so that that was a major uh, major announcement a few weeks ago uh, in April, and that's very interesting. I think from globalist pers- perspective, definitely gives a good benchmark now on how you actually could regulate this area. It's very focused. There are few uh, important characters. Uh, There are prohibited uh, cases of AI that are basically against the the values, European values that want to be protected. There is the definition of high-risk AI use cases and then uh, expectations or requirements for these kind of high-risk use cases, which come from so many different industries and different areas like recruitment, education, law enforcement or uh, judicial uh, applications, uh, public sector services and so forth. But it's very much use case uh, focused, understanding what are those use cases that where we have higher risk uh, that needs to needs to go through more uh, comprehensive governance assessment process. Yeah. So that's the core uh, core of the proposal and I, I, I think even though it's obviously in the process uh, and it's be uh, going through many many forums and German Parliament and so forth so so it already gives a very good idea about this uh, how good looks like lo- looks like uh, from a regulation perspective so I, I think it has definitely already started to influence uh, organizations who are using AI that, okay, these are the things that we need to prepare for. This, this is the way how uh, it can and, and probably will be regulated as well. Yeah, that makes sense because when, when as I, we talked about earlier, the application of AI is really different depending on the industry mm. it's being operated in. So it makes sense that there would be distinctions between the use cases so that there that gave a certain degree of respect for the type of industry the AI is being used in. Mm. 
and then then there are these use cases that go across all industries like uh, people analytics related or recruiting for example so so I think that's a that's a really nice way of uh, of laying down uh, or identifying the areas where we need to be uh, more cautious about uh, about the uh, possible negative influences on on safety security or fundamental rights that we yeah. have our AI yeah so ai is kind of evolving pretty quickly so i was i i wanted to ask you you know uh maybe two years from now what problems you think you'd be addressing that are different from the problems you're addressing now Mm, that's interesting two years it's always like <laughs> trying to understand what is what is long time in this area yeah. like what is short i don't know <laughs> is this long or short time yeah. but uh yeah certainly a lot a lot has happened already during the last few uh, past few years um uh, probably we are much closer to that like having those regulations in place uh in two years i personally hope that we are also way further in giving form for trust between the AI human interactions. So, so we really want to be exploring not only on like, you know, what it, how does that, how to do effectively that governance behind the scenes and uh, how to document things in the right way, how to analyze your risks and so forth. That's where we have started and that's where we are like, you know, heavily uh, working on at the moment. We want to take it more, uh, find good and efficient ways so that any company, like companies of any size or public organizations of any size anywhere can have access to that high quality, top-notch expertise in this area. And that you need to be solving, not only hiring more people because you you don't necessarily have all those resources to to hire those experts. So we need to find more innovative uh, ways, uh, digital ways uh, for giving that support but i also really hope that we are much further on on communi- communicating that trust giving a form for that trust in those ai human interactions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah with with online dispute resolution i don't think ai will gain greater adoption unless there's trust you know, mm. there, there's just, when we're operating in dispute systems, there's concerns around inequitable outcomes, mm. you know, and whether AI can recognize the nuance between situations, like someone from a rural part of the country or world versus someone in the city or large city. And, and so, that trust is just so fundamental for AI ODR to have greater recognition and adoption. So yeah, I, I think that's a really important point. And it's a good thing you're, you'll be working on it two years from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a really interesting question. How does it, how, how do we form that trust between the users? It probably requires these these structures and and mechanisms for the users to know that there has been expert reviews or like you know uh, some experts know uh, have been validating that this works well and so forth but like you know how do those things come together and and realize uh, as 
trust between the user and the uh, and the system that's really fascinating question well that's actually that's that's a great point and it almost relates to a position that i think you also another hat you wear separate mm-hmm. from sidats i'm correct me if i'm wrong you're also the, the chair on iee's ethics certification program for autonomous and intelligent systems and it sounds like you know they're you're doing some type of certification for these autonomous systems mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely that that was a very good bridge into uh, into this topic and definitely it's related yeah i is uh, is uh, is really one of the global standardization organizations world's largest professional association for uh, um, technical experts. We started to work with I, IEEE has been doing amazing work in uh, AI ethics space. So, so AI ethics experts, uh, everyone knows the work uh, on ethically aligned design. Sort of very good reference material. So, anyone who wants to uh, wants wants to really get a full picture, big picture about all the different aspects that we uh, are talking about when talking about AI ethics, go to IEEE's. Uh, materials on under the ethically aligned design design concept. So there had been a lot of work uh, done already in IEEE, a lot of standardization also uh, projects started on this space. But yeah, in 2018, 18, we uh, we were having having also discussions about about the needs of industry and and uh, organizations who are deploying AI, take, using AI, and and how do they how are they able to communicate uh, about that trustworthiness uh, about their attempts and, and like you know investments on on uh, AI governance and, and making sure that the AI is working uh, working reliably and is trustworthy so so from those experiences discussions uh, it became very clear that we also need some kind of mechanisms to to be able to communicate about that trustworthiness towards the different stakeholders. And, and that initiated this, uh, this process of starting a certification program for um, this AI ethics space. And the focus over there, there is really the most um, or the biggest themes of, uh, of AI ethics, uh, which are seeing in, in uh, all of those principles, ethics principles that we are seeing, uh, transparency, accountability, algorithmic bias, and now also privacy as a fourth uh, topic. So, yeah. That's awesome. It, it's such important work. And, you know, I've been <laughs> for quite some time, I've actually followed IE's um, research. There, there's just so much and mm. such interesting research into different tech issues. And I guess for some people who may be listening and are unsure what it is, IEEE is the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, which sounds I'm just going to say it sounds kind of boring, but <laughs> their, true, website, yeah. <laughs> their, their website is, is great. And the research into tech issues that they do is, is so important. And, you know, it brings together so many different academics and practitioners from around the world to kind of problem solve around different tech issues. So, it's it's great the work you're doing, and it's it's just great overall that this institute is in existence. Frankly, 
Yeah, and it's a, it's a great opportunity, a learning opportunity, and you can like you know they they are open uh, groups that you can where you can participate as well. So so um, it's two way learning. You can contribute to uh, to how standards are being shaped in this area uh, or certification criteria, but you also uh, not only uh, have a possibility to contribute and influence, but you also learn uh, while while uh, acting or like you know working there actively with all those amazing experts uh, from around the world. So. So yeah, it's. Um, but isn't it? But you said that it sounds like a little bit boring the name, but <laughs> but that's also actually what I'm what I'm waiting uh, when talking about AI. So when it gets boring, then we are in in some some like you know it has reached that certain stage. So it has become part of um, how how it just how we just work how mm. part of normal normal way of working and and then. Um, that's that's many times uh, a benefit. Uh, we we sort of focus on 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 the real issues and yeah, there is beauty in the uh, boring <laughs> in in boring or <laughs> how do you say it? Something yeah. being boring. <laughs> yeah, totally. So and it, it, it's actually such an interesting point. You know, at the point where where AI becomes mundane and ordinary then we can start to talk and explore like the real critical issues. And, and, you know, I feel like AI's beauty and what makes it such an attention grabber is the fact that it can become boring. You know, like, I don't know, I, I'm sure the technology is already in existence, right? You can be on the phone I think there are regulations around this, but in general, you can be on the phone with an AI system communicating with mm -hmm. it. And some people might not even realize that you're communicating with an AI system. And, and the, like that point where you realize it is an AI system when you didn't realize it is, mm -hmm. is the point of like maximum fascination, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but there there probably will be regulation for yeah. for that. You actually need to know that you are talking with if you ask from EU Commission. But uh, but anyways, yeah, I, I think it's um it's a very important important moment. Probably we also need to need to um, design the governance before reaching that moment because it might be that it's beyond then our sort of governance or control uh, mechanisms if uh, if uh, we don't even anymore recognize what is AI and what is uh, what is not so so probably we need to start the governance and regulation a little bit earlier before before that moment but I agree with you there is something about that moment I, I think it's um, Seriously, uh, one thing that is really important where I'm working a lot with uh, our customers is really that uh, sometimes this whole uh, conversation about AI uh, ethics and AI risks and incidents related to this one, it becomes one big one big mess and it's really important, uh, like difficult to even understand that what are the things that uh, apply to our context and our use cases and so forth. So that exercise is super important to to understand that not all uh, AI-related uh, risks in the world uh, are something that you should uh, that are um, specifically relevant to your use cases in your industry. So that kind of uh, seeing um, the forest out of trees, or how do you say <laughs> we have that saying in yeah. Finnish? But but sort of seeing seeing what is important in my context, where should I put focus, and what is what is uh, secondary 
is, is yeah. super important. That's such a great point. And I, I do get the sense that AI, something like also blockchain technology, they're both very sexy right now. And there, there's um, the pressure for startups to just incorporate it in general and just say, oh, yeah, we're using this type of technology without really seeing whether the use case of that type of technology benefits your your company. So yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. Um, and on the note of AI being reaching the stage where it's hard to distinguish from human intelligence, I've been recently reading a lot, and it's mostly inspired by my love of sci-fi, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I've been re- reading some research into uh, generative adaptive networks, I believe they're called GANs. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically my understanding with GANs is they're like neural networks to a certain extent, and you can provide examples to the AI system. And from those examples, uh, the AI system is able to produce a rule and using the rule that the AI system created, it can provide another example in addition to what you already provided it have you heard have you heard of this at all yeah there are these uh interesting like uh image um so for example these uh pictures of humans who don't exist and i think they are created have you seen that uh page there is a web page for these humans who don't exist i have yeah, it's it's really interesting space. Um, yeah, 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 it is. That. It's also kind of scary, but it's it's progress. Mm-hmm. It's progress. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of the the final few questions. You, you're actually the first guest that has come on the show since Harvard Law School had its graduation, and. Yeah, I was just curious, like, you know, for for student for law students who just graduated, what advice would you give them as as they start down this uh, new chapter in their life? Yeah. um, (laughs) Advising Harvard Law School uh, students, it's really hard, uh, hard question. But I I think this uh, future will be definitely interdisciplinary. So I, I think finding opportunities where you can work with people from um, different disciplines that are needed uh, in future when we're living that life of very technology, AI-driven uh, processes and, and societies. I think that interdisciplinary knowledge and experience is, is going to be uh, super important. And I, I would really prioritize opportunities for being able to work in such context that you can actually actually learn uh, more about about those uh, all the other aspects uh, that we need to need to take into account when trying to manage this kind of social technical uh, systems I've been wondering how little we have for example privacy uh, lawyers in the space of AI ethics so I definitely also while saying this uh, importance of interdisciplinary backgrounds and, and opportunities to, to uh, work in teams where you have those 
those uh, different per- disciplines are present. I also really hope to see more and more privacy lawyers, privacy experts to dive into this area of AI ethics and, and start to operationalize, start to to uh, solve these questions, handle the governance, um, build governance mechanisms on top of the great practices that we already have in many organizations from the data protection privacy perspective. So really welcoming also also more students and and experts with legal backgrounds uh, into this space. Yeah, it's that's great. And actually, part of me thought when I was asking the question, part of me thought you were just going to say, learn to code. <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, you, you definitely touched on important pieces, especially the, the need to take interdisciplinary approaches. That's just so important. And something like privacy lawyers, like we know that more and more regulation is is coming in that field. We also know that, or we hope, I'll hope that customers and users of these systems will care more and more about their privacy as the technology continues to advance. So I think that there is such a important need for more privacy lawyers and that that's great advice to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, with that, I just wanted to thank you so much for, for you know, being a part of the conversation, for joining today. And, and I'm, I'm excited to see what SiteOut is doing, not just two years from now, but into the distance future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having, having me and, and for, for the conversation. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much.